Does your shirt say "Let's start a cult"? It's it does. It's got no, oh, and it's got Kool Aid Man. <laughs> That's dark. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> what? They didn't actually have Kool Aid. No, no, they used Flavor Aid. Uh, they used Flavor Aid. <laughs> and what is it? Grayface Studios in uh, Savannah has several of the original packets. Really? Yeah, yeah. They got them in frames hung up on the walls. <laughs> That's <laughs> dark. That's really bleak. <laughs> That's bleak. Man. That's a. That's a that's a tough one to yeah. uh, to you know because on one yeah. hand that's horrifying on the other Whoa. hand I really want to see it uh, I want to <laughs> go see that so yeah yeah you know what else I want to see what's that hey there everybody welcome back to Pixel it my name is Kevin with me as always is Phil on today's show we're talking to Troy Denning. The author of Halo Outcasts, which we read on the pod just a few, a book ago. A book ago. book ago. A book ago. Yeah. 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 So, uh, we, we had a, we had a nice, we had a lovely discussion with Troy Denning. Uh, we talked about, uh, his inspirations, uh, how he, he does his process and uh, he gives he gives some uh, pretty good advice at the end of the call. So it's, yeah, and and we even managed to squeeze in Baldur's Gate three somehow. We even managed to talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate three, and uh, which is fine. I mean, listen, he 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 he's a guy who wrote he wrote Forgotten Realms books. Yeah, he worked he, for TSR. He developed can, the world. Like I think he, we're it's allowed. Like, it's fine. We're allowed. It's to fine talk to one of one of the Forgotten Realms uh, daddies. Yeah, uh, the daddies of Forgotten Realms. To what, you know, what choice do we have in a moment what, like that? What choice do we have at a moment like that, other than to say, "What did you play the the video game?" <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Didn't he? You have to listen to the episode to find out. You have out. to listen to it to find out. Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> Troy, uh, thanks for coming on. What, what? So what are your first experiences with Halo? Well, my first experience with Halo was um, actually lore. I had uh, worked with Karen Travis um, in Star Wars. Okay. And so when I saw that she'd done some um, Halo books, I decided to pick pick them up and see what she was doing and uh, picked it up. I picked up the first one, and I thought that was pretty good. And then I picked up the second one, and I thought that was pretty good. And then <laughs> I picked up, you know, a third one, and then I started picking up other people's um, books. And um, so I was, I was just enjoying becoming a reader. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at about that time, I was um, in Seattle for a meeting for Wizards of the Coast and uh, happened to bump into, I, of course, I worked with TSR when I was younger, and I was right. getting together with some friends from from Wizards, and uh, one of them mentioned that he had been approached to write a Halo book, but he couldn't because of non-compete clauses. Sure. And uh, I said, oh, that's too bad. Halo, I'm... I'm really enjoying reading that. That sounds like a, a great, great opportunity. 
And a couple of weeks later, Ed Schlesinger gives me a call and says, Hey, do you want to write some Halo? <laughs> That's awesome. It's yeah. like the best kind of yeah. right place, right time kind and of situation. Honestly, Troy, you're kind of yeah. in the same boat that uh that me and Phil are. I mean, we're we're gamers, obviously, but we're neither of us are are huge Halo uh we players, but we've we have been on this podcast, been going through all of the books. Um, so uh, yeah, we're kind of in the in the same boat. We we enjoy reading them more than we do playing the game. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, 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 that's the the way I am. Is that of course I was um, way back in 1982. Um, went to work for TSR as a, a tabletop role playing game editor and designer, and uh, have been in gaming pretty much my whole life. But right. when it started to to move into video games. Um, I played a few and, and quickly realized that, that that was crack for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I would, I would sit down and, and play, start playing one. And, and then it would be like uh, two days later, my wife would ask me if I was ever going to come out of my office again. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> That's amazing. so I, I kind of avoided the, yeah, the video games and, and until I, um, got the chance to write for halo. And then I had a good excuse to, you know, to play through the whole campaign. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's the research then. And, yeah. It's research. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was like, it was like five campaigns. Um, well, it was actually four when I started, but right. five quickly after that. Cause, because <laughs> once I had, um, once I had played through all the first four and then the halo five came out, I had an excuse to play through them all again. <laughs> and, <laughs> Honey, I've got to do this. It's for the job. I got to. I got to. Yeah. Away from me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so well, that's that actually, the, way it, the way it has worked for me. <laughs> oh, that's well. That actually uh, leads into the next question perfectly because one of the things we talk about on our show all the time is adaptation and the process of it. And so, with the books that you've written for this franchise. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the process of, of adapting them. Did you pitch plot ideas to them or would they come to you with the idea? Can't like, we've got this idea. Can you write it? That kind of thing. How did, how did that process work? Well, it works differently every time. Um, yeah. And it, it depends a lot on what the intellectual property needs. Um, you know, typically they have some sort of publishing program in mind. And it has some relationship to what the main property is doing, um, but it it just all depends on where you enter the program and where the programs happens to be at the time. So with my first book, um, I was out in Wyoming visiting my parents, and um, my dad was uh, dying of cancer at the time, and um, they had. Um, we had a meeting, a phone meeting at the time, and they they basically said, uh, "What do you want to? What are you interested in writing?" And um, you know, just like an open-ended question. And I was, um, my dad had been a detective mm. for part of his time, and I just said, "Well, how would you feel about a detective story?" And they said, "Oh, that sounds great." And so we kind of went on from there, and and I wrote the. Um, you know, invented the character of Beta Lopez because I didn't want to actually model the, the detective on my dad. Right. Um, <laughs> he was just kind of the inspiration for the story. 
And, um, and from there, you know, it was, I think really, um, you know, I, I was really impressed that they were able to give me the freedom to just do that. Right. Um, with my first book and from the get go, I was impressed by how easy it is to work with three, four, three, because, you know, most intellectual properties have some parameters that you're not allowed to bump up against or go past, um, you know, and you, you know, it'd be like me in star Wars and, and my, I would always try to make a Gamorrean Jedi and, and they would just (laughs) say, no, no, Gamorreans aren't Jedi, you know, (laughs) you gotta try though. You uh, gotta try. I uh, I had to try one of those little pig dudes waving a lightsaber around. Come on. Everyone wants that. I know. I, that's what I kept saying. But then I kept forgetting that they had told me no like three or four times before. So I had to put one in every book that I, and pretty soon I think they thought I was joking. <laughs> this guy's messing with us, right? This, that's what he's doing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, but, the Gamorrean Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but three, four, three was like, instead of doing that kind of thing, they would just say, well, we can't do it that way. How about we try it this way? Oh, and, that's great. You know, so, they, yeah, there was a lot of freedom. That's and good. what that did, yeah, what that does for writers is it makes you um, happy to push up against the boundaries. You know, you feel like you have a lot of freedom and you can do what you need to do for your story without worrying that you're going to end up writing, rewriting 100 pages or something. Yeah. So, you know, because they'll find a way to make it work. And right. um, so far, knock on wood, they always have. Yeah. So, it, it, so did it start out like? Did it start out that way? Um, like, have they given you more rope, basically, as you've gone on since you've written several books with them? Um, yeah. Is that have they have they been a little bit uh, more accepting? Because I know they don't. You said they don't really push back. They just kind of offer a suggestion of a redirect. Yeah. Uh, but have they let you kind of go a little bit further in the, that boundary pushing? Um, you know, I don't, it would be hard to actually um, think of envision them actually letting me go further. Um, <laughs> I think because, because, you know, they've never said no, they've just said, let's do it this way or we can oh, try it this way. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, which is one of the things that I really love about working with them. Right. Um, but what has happened as we write more books um, is that they're bringing me quite often closer to the to the main property storyline. Right. So, ah. for instance, you know, when I wrote um, Silent Storm, um, you know, they that kind of came from them. I I had you know written um, I think two Veda Lopez books at, at that time, and then the next um, book um notice or idea i got was just a picture of the master chief's helmet and <laughs> and then i called that called up ed and i said what does this mean <laughs> and he told me yeah <laughs> and he, he told me well we want you to write the master chief and then as a young as a young warrior so and that was so cool. how silent storm and oblivion came about um you know, so those those the basic core ideas of those kind of came from three four three. Mm, gotcha. Um, 
Yep. As did um, Shadows of Reach. You know, of course, by then we were tying pretty close into Infinite. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of said, we want you to do this to to help explain something that happens in Infinite. Mm. So, so I got to, you know, get a little bit of um, insight into where Infinite was going before it got there, which was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. that's really cool. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we we were uh we read um uh rubicon protocol last year which kelly gay wrote which was basically the the entire prequel to to infinite uh we didn't get a chance to interview her we had a scheduling conflict but yeah that's that's fascinating to to see where they kind of step in and and guide a little bit closer i guess anytime you're yeah. you're talking about something like reach which is basically the <laughs> kind of one of the core things of the entire yeah. halo property <laughs> they're they're going to be a little bit yeah. more careful now yeah yeah and it and um you know it's it's funny is that sometimes one thing leads into another you know for instance i just when i wrote shadows of reach i put in that little easter egg about the ferrets and <laughs> all of a sudden everybody just said okay this is we're going back to the ark <laughs> you know with the ferrets so, <laughs> so it, that was just you know that was just following the story where where it led which sure. is another thing i love about you know 343 is that they um you know they're they're obviously working to support um the main property whenever they can right but they also have the ability and are are quick enough on their feet to follow the stories where the stories lead Mm. right yeah which has been a lot of fun that's that's it's always really heartening to hear those kinds of stories about uh the owners of those intellectual properties and their 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 ability to let their artists have fun with it because that's where the best stuff comes from um just letting you know obviously keeping you in the lanes a little bit but wanting you to have fun like you said you're not afraid to try something uh which yeah yeah that's that's fantastic well but, and you've worked on a ton of franchises many of which kevin and i are huge fans of so i had to ask this question what what uh, what is a, a franchise that you'd most like to work with uh and it can be again like something you'd like to go back to and revisit or 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 for the first time or whatever because you've you've worked with some of the greats so are there are there still some on your bucket list um, I don't know whether, you know, I tend to be a guy who, who steps into a franchise and lives there for a while sure. <laughs> and, and, um, I'm because I, because I, you know, I, I, I feel like until you've written a couple of books in a franchise, you really don't know it well enough. I mean, mm. I, I would, first, I would never write for a franchise that I didn't enjoy. Mm. Um, you know, I, my agent one time told me I was kind of a hired gun, but <laughs> I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy who, who enjoys writing in certain franchises um, because he loves them and, you know, gets interested in them. And, and uh, you know, when the time, I mean, I've um, probably got a, I don't know, half a dozen books that are unfinished of my own, that are my own intellectual properties that you know i've started and and worked on 
And then along comes this bright, shiny bobble, and they say, hey, <laughs> you want to write this? <laughs> you know? and, and then at that point, you're like, okay, do I take the one where I know it's going to get published, or do I, do I keep working on the one where it might get published? And, you know, right. and so you, you kind of end up you know, having those golden handcuffs. <laughs> and uh, and, yeah, and uh, going off to work on the on the shine, bright and shiny baubles that that are coming along. Yeah, and um, you know, I've I've yeah, I mean, some you know there there are some franchises that that I've been talked to and offered to work on that I would have loved to have worked on. Um, I don't want to say. Uh, what they are exactly gotcha um, but what happens is you know i'm in the middle of writing something else for somebody else and schedule just doesn't work and you know i may be scheduled at times two or three books down down the road which is a year and a half or two and and the way the publishing programs work they can't really wait that long for you to you know to free up mm. so um there have been you know an old, old good friend of mine from my days at uh, Pace Setter um, um, has several times said, "Hey, you want to come and work for me on the franchise that that he owns?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'd love to do that." And then we start talking about scheduling, and it's like, it, you know, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, right. And and now, you know, now I'm kind of late in my career and I'm, I'm not sure whether um, when and if I'm done with Halo, which I don't really see happening soon that I'm going to want to move on and invest in another new franchise. Sure. Um, Yeah. 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 So, so I'm not sure whether I'll, where I'm going to go from here. I mean, um, after I, after I'm done with Halo, I will probably just ha- consider that I have the freedom to write for myself mm-hmm. and and ignore the, sh- the the bright shiny baubles that come along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah, and just for once, say I'm going to work on my own bobble. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Make yeah. a bobble that other people uh, get attracted to and yeah. want to write for. <laughs> well, yeah, because because I've got I don't know probably three of them that I'm just dying to write. Sure. And um and it's just a matter of of saying, Okay, I'm not gonna get pulled away by something else now. I'm right. I'm just gonna work on that. So So this is a this is just a an aside. I was just thinking about this that you wrote a uh, a lot of books that were set in the uh, Forgotten Realms uh setting for 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 D D. Um the it's actually been kind of a big year for the Forgotten Realms setting with with a movie and probably one of the biggest video games of the year uh, coming out with uh, with the Dungeons and Dragons movie Honor Among Thieves and uh, yeah, was it Baldur's Gate three? Um, did you did you oh, yeah. get to, to play with uh, watch that uh, uh, the movie or play with the game at all? No, I haven't. I have not actually watched the movie. Okay. Um, Although I hear hear that it's very good, it's a but lot of every fun. time I sit down, yeah, every time I sit down to watch movies and and propose it to my wife, um, who also worked at TSR in those early days, 
I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to relive my youth again. <laughs> so, 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 so we haven't gone there yet. And, That's um, totally as fair. I said, I, yeah, it is. You know, I have to kind of respect that. I'll probably watch it. Um, I, I'm not a big TV guy, so sure. I don't watch a lot of TV when she's not around. Yeah, but I will probably make a a point of watching it at some point when um when she's off some doing something else. Yeah, and yeah. Um, as I said, I'm I I'm kind of like I know my limits when it comes to video games, so I I haven't picked up the Baldur's Gate series. Yeah, yeah. Just, given what you said, the, yeah. Given what you said, it seems yeah. like it would be a bad idea uh, because it took me. Yeah took me a hundred hours to to play through it so. <laughs> yeah well I, I guarantee you it would probably take me 200 and i would do them all in a row <laughs> I, I, I just wouldn't come out until i was done yeah it, 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 it inspires that kind of thing so yeah it's if, uh, it's good to know that you've got that inside of you because it it took me about 60 hours and i was rushing so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, Troy, who would you say, uh, who or what would you say are your writing inspirations? Well, there's, there are a ton. I, I think that it's fair to say that even though I write science fiction and fantasy, my, the people I model myself on, um, most closely are thriller writers, Mm. uh, you know, because that's, I've studied their craft and, um, you know, taken apart their books, analyzed them and made, you know, tried to understand what made me keep wanting to turn the page because that's what my goal is when I write a book is to keep the the reader wanting to turn the page. Yeah. So, you know, it's people like um, John Sanford and, and when I say inspirations, I would, I would say I study them more sure. than inspired by them. We'll go to the inspiration in a minute. <laughs> but um yeah, but I but you know, John Sanford, um Michael Connolly, mm. Robert Ludlum, um one of the people who I have both studied and been inspired by is uh, William Goldman mm. who uh, wrote, you know, the the Princess Bride, Marathon yeah. Man. Right. Um just you know the, the list of his hits is endless and and when i read him um i'm always astounded by how well he does two things one he uses voice and language just wonderfully but um he also just keeps you hooked i mean there's always something else you want to find out about what's going to happen next and so I, I think he's pr- pretty much my epitome of of a writer in that he just, you know, he, he has the skill set, or he did, because um, uh, I think he's um, no longer yeah, with us. He passed away a few but, years ago, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, he had the skill set to just communicate anything he wanted, and not only t- to communicate it, but to make you kind of follow along and just be caught up in the narrative. I mean, when you, when you take a look at some of the, the fight scenes in the princess bride and that the sentences just, they're like two paragraphs long. They just keep going on and going on and going on and, and you, you can follow them and you just keep drawing along and, and it gives you that whole 
feeling like you're just caught up in this big whirling combat. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, some of the things that like in the marathon, man, like, like one word, boom. And it, you know, it hits you and they, he conveys more with like a single word of action than, right. than most people do with the sentence. Um, so, so that he is really, truly one of my inspirations. Um, yeah. You know, um, Michael gotta... Crichton also. Oh, Michael that Crichton. Way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 When, when you read, I, I mean, I always loved, you know, like the Andromeda strain and everything. Um, how well crispy was with detail and with, you know, how well he understood science, but could keep you pulled into it. Right. And then I was thinking, you know, he's really just a solid thriller writer writing in the science fiction area. And then I read Eaters of the Dead. And oh. it was like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy. Yeah. That's you know, an underrated I mean, book. Oh, yeah. I don't think people understand oh. how good that book is, you know, and, and how good the voice is. Um, but but what he did with that, it was like, you know, just so every time I picked up a Michael Crichton book, it was always like I'm I'm just kind of learning something new, mm-hmm. um, you know, about writing. So. So oh. those are kind of my my inspirations from uh, how to write kind of viewpoint. And when I was growing up, my inspirations were like Asimov and, and you know, I just read their books and loved them. Burroughs, um, um, Arthur C. Clarke, you know, just, just the old classic science fiction guys and, and sure. Tolkien fantasy guys. Um, yeah. So. I, th- I think it makes perfect sense, actually, when you say that you you're um, you learn a lot and take a lot of inspiration from the thriller. I was about to writers. say that, yeah, uh, because the opening of Outcasts, Kevin and I both agreed that that opening, the uh, basically the checkpoint scene, it was like it's like it was it was basically like a police car stop, and right. I was like, this is so tense. It was <laughs> incredibly tense. It it we we said it was like an episode of Twenty Four, like you could see the clock ticking, and I and I went, holy shit, okay, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great yeah. that's a great start. It was it's not what. Uh, you know it it and it tells you immediately what kind of story you're getting into where the franchise halo is is such a huge grandiose space opera um and it's getting into a more personal skirmishy kind of story so that that makes yeah. perfect sense <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know with halo you can do that's one of the things that i find so interesting about it is you can just do almost literally any kind of story um yeah without you know pushing outside the 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 franchise it it just has room for everything absolutely yeah i mean i would love if if halo uh did what uh what games workshop did uh and and introduced a horror label that would be uh fascinating (laughs) what what is what's that called uh the black library the black library yeah yeah, they've got a They've got their mystery imprint. They've got a horror imprint. They're, they've been yeah. playing with it a uh, lot. Because I agree, Halo can, is very a very flexible <laughs> setting. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly yeah. flexible. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Halo with um, with horror, I mean, it could um, it could do all, any kind of horror. Yeah. It, it's oh, there's yeah. just the potential for that there. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I mean, Star Wars did that once with, 
I can't remember. Death Troopers. Red Harvest, I think it was. Yeah. Or Death Troopers, yeah. Yeah. And, um, it was kind of splat horror, and I, and it wasn't my thing. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, it, it kind of demonstrated the difficulty of actually doing that in Star Wars, because Star Wars, you're kind of, I think you're thematically limited in a way that you aren't in Halo. Right. I, I agree. I think no matter how serious and dark Star Wars gets, uh, there's still a level of wholesomeness to it that's kind of hard to yeah. shake. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and, and Halo, I've always liked that it it doesn't really, I mean, it has a lot more room for the un, the dark undertones and the, and the moral ambivalence. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, I, I have a hunch on this one, and I bet Kevin does too, but we've got to ask, <laughs> uh, what, what was your favorite character to write for in Outcasts? Who did you, who did you have the most fun coming back to chapter after chapter? Oh, I love all of my characters equally. Oh, good. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Okay. Okay. I love all of my yeah, children equally. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, well, you know, but that, that's always a hard question to answer, and I get asked it a lot. Sure. And the answer, the answer is honestly, it's, it's whoever I'm writing at that moment, because when you when you're writing a character, you kind of have to love them. You kind of have to be in their in their head and on their side and and living in their skin um, to write them well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, people talk about writing villains, and and honestly, I try never to write a villain. I, mm. I try to make each character a hero in his own head, and you know, he he may be willing to do things that other characters aren't mm-hmm. and cross lines that nobody else would, but you know, he's doing it for what he considers or she to be a good reason. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. even when I'm writing, you know, the, the dark, the dark side of the characters, the, the ones that, that the readers are going to hate, you know, I'm still, I'm in love with them when I'm, when I'm writing them. And I, I try very hard to be that way. So, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I mean, there's some of the characters. I mean, one of the characters I had the most fun writing in in this case was um, Rosa Fuertes. Oh, you know, yeah. And she only appears in a, in a couple of scenes, but um, yeah. But uh, it, you know, it was just the opportunity to go back to Oblivion and and show what happened to her and the out and the um, outcasts. Right. Um, yeah, that, that I enjoyed. Yeah, Vale, I enjoyed a lot because she, you know, she was. I think everybody else who's written her has written her on a little bit of a more good Spartan level, mm-hmm. and I kind of enjoyed, you know, getting in there and 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 playing with who she was when she was younger. Right. And and having that come back and, and interfere and cause their problems now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the fact that she can't stand that that uh Keely keeps calling her by the nickname that she called her when she yeah. was yeah. when <laughs> she was a kid. <laughs> yeah. It was an it's just a, yeah. a great yeah. little Keely detail. was a lot of fun to write. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the interaction between Keely and, and Olympia 
um, that was a blast, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the interaction between um, the Arbiter and Petrov was fun, too. Yeah. The, the, the tension between them was there's always just that era of like, of, uh, of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, the, probably my favorite scene in the entire book though, is, is, uh, uh, it's a really short scene towards the end. And it's probably one of the darkest send offs to a character that I've read on this, on this show is, uh, is when all the power is out and the world master and the, the other guy are just sitting in the dark um, it was, it was, it was just this, it was just the, the weight of everything that they have done, like crashing down on them, uh, at the very end was, was, uh, uh, I, I love that chapter is, is very well written. Yeah, it was, um, it, it was one of those chapters that, that wasn't there originally. Sure. And I can't remember whether it was Ed from gallery or, or, somebody um um from 343 who suggested i think we need to see what happened to to um the two saying healy people who were left behind Mm -hmm. and you know and it was like oh yeah (laughs) you know what happened what did what what happened to nizat and and um tam and i was like you know i i thought yeah at first i thought they're right. I really do need to show that. And then when I started to think about what I was going to show, it, it just seemed natural. I mean, you know, here's two guys that have been worshiping this, these false gods for yeah. their whole life. And what is that going to mean to them now? And mm-hmm. I, and how do you show how devastating that would be? Yeah. And you know, it was just, it, it, it was just there then, you know, it just made sense. It felt very much like, uh, and I think I might have said this at the time. Felt very much like the end of the thing. It felt like uh, Kurt Russell and Keith David, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, just sitting at a, each other, sitting in a bombed out camp, uh, staring at each other. <laughs> that was a great yeah. moment. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, Troy, what's... yeah, I, I would agree that that's one of my favorite scenes too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's so sad. Bad. It's hard. It's sad. Yeah, but, it's heartbreaking. It it's dark. It's it's got every well, all, yeah. and it's very tight. It's a very short scene, but it really, really hits you in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Troy, what's your favorite? Uh, so, if you had to pick a Halo book that you didn't read, that you didn't write, but you've read, uh, what's your favorite one? Well, I haven't read it yet, but. From everything I'm hearing, Epitaph is going to be the one. Ah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, I just keep hearing um, people say, you know, great things about it. So I'm looking forward to getting my grubby little hands on a copy. <laughs> um, well, that's I don't, I don't want to get into it too soon because I, I think I think it's probably not in its fully polished version yet. But sure. They pushed it back. But as soon I as think. it is, I'm going to. Yeah. Pardon me? Yeah. I think I think it was supposed to come out this year, but they pushed it back or something like that. February. Yeah, uh, that probably had to, now. Yeah, yeah, that probably had to do with my surgery because of everything getting pushed back, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, Outcast got pushed back like nearly a year because of ah. my surgery. So, got yeah, it. So yeah. that I don't know. I you know I I'm not sure whether they would have tried to slip it in ahead of time or not, but 
but oh. that may have had something to do with it, or maybe there was just some other thing going on. Well, but, friend, but friend, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And it's being written by friend of the pod, one. Kelly Gay. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like we need any more excuse to read more of her work. She's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's good. I enjoy reading, reading her stuff an awful lot. I think, I, you know, I, I think other than, I don't know, it's hard to say who, sure. who would be my favorite other Halo writer or other favorite Halo story. I I, I have to give Greg Bear credit where credit is due because the Forerunner trilogy, um, you know, that is run through several of my books and and given them um, kind of the bones that they stand stand on. So, um, you know, and, and obviously how obviously hate um outcasts but also retribution it, it there was a lot of the a lot of the scenes in retribution that that wouldn't have been what they were if i hadn't been rereading the the forerunner trilogy so. right yeah then yeah, it makes sense to me nice um okay well uh, we're, we're we're gonna we're wrapping up here troy uh but we do have one uh, more question for you, and this is this is the question that is uh, important to us because uh, we veil it in terms of like advice for up and coming writers, but because we're both writers, this is mostly for us. But and you got any advice for up and coming writers uh, <laughs> who are looking to make it into the for hire business or something yeah, like to that? To reframe it is, do you have any advice for overweight middle aged writers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, um, I, I guess my advice—I have—I have two categories of advice. Mm-hmm. One category for writers in general, and then another category for writers for hire. But I always start with the writers in general, and and I think that the most succinct way to to put that is to never forget who you're writing for. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody thinks because we're all most people are trying to get past that publisher get to get into a New York house, you know, getting an editor to buy their stuff or, or to get an agent and stuff. So everybody always thinks that they're writing for the agent or they're writing for the, the editor, but you know, you're really writing for the reader hmm. you know, because that's, if, if you, even if you make a sale, you get an agent, you have to make the sale, you make the sale, you, you won't make a second one unless the readers love you. So you always have to remember that it's the reader that you're trying to please. And if you're not a reader yourself, um, then you have no business writing. Mm. It's just that simple. So really, it comes down to write for yourself. Write something that you would love to read and, and do everything you can to make that happen. And one of the things that... that I see very often because I get asked to read a lot of um, material by young writers and I will never, I, I, first of all, I categorically don't read anything that hasn't been published before, but occasionally Mm -hmm. people will ask me to read, you know, their self published stuff or, or something. And, and what I've seen sometimes when I do that is that they haven't really um, paid their dues. They haven't put the time in and learned the process and learned what they're what 
the mechanics and uh, and developed a theory, a story. And so I think that that's something that, that you need to do to be successful in the long term. There, everybody has a, a first book in them, you know, and most people will sit down and they can write that first book and it practically writes itself. I mean, it just kind of spells out because you've been thinking about it and dreaming about it your whole life. Um, and if that first book hits, great, you know, then you're, you know, you're set and you're on your way. But if it doesn't, you're, you either, ha you're either done because nobody has, you know, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of energy welling up inside them for their second book. Um, because it's, it's a hard process, you know, I mean, you guys yeah. know how hard it is. Right. Oh, yeah. And finishing one novel alone is, is difficult enough. If you're going to finish two or three or ten, um, you have to start to, to develop a theory of story, and that just means that you have to to understand wh what makes a story enjoyable for you, so that you can make it write the story and have it be enjoyable for the people who read the same thing you do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that's yeah. terrific advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. For writers for hire, the the thing you have to remember is that nobody is going to hire a writer who hasn't published um, a novel previously on a deadline for another house. Because when somebody invests in hiring a writer to do something um, for them on contract for a for another IP, you have to remember that they've already invested a lot of money in licensing the product. And in preparing, you know, getting their, their publishing program up and running and deciding what they want to do. So when they hire you to do that, they're investing in you to help them with, with this project. Um, they're not going to do that unless they have confidence that you can produce something good um, in a timely manner. Right. And, and so being able to do that, um, and being able to show that you can do that is the first step to to um, bec becoming a, a media tie-in writer, which is what what I do. Right. Yeah, that's great. great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Troy, thank you so much for um, for spending some time with us, answering a few questions. You know, uh, it's it's really been a blast. Yep it's been a it's been fun talking with you guys too. I, I'll look forward to to seeing it on the podcast and give me a heads up on my social media and I'll, I'll be sure to share it. We'll sure def will. We definitely, we'll definitely let you know. All right. Thanks, Troy. Thank okay. you, Troy. All right. Thank you guys. Have I'll a good day. Care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Well, that was an awesome interview and we're back now. This is after the interview before the interview, when we recorded, that was before the interview. We that was earlier. We didn't record the intro after. I just guessed at what he was going to say um, about the good advice. I don't do retakes, so I just kind of roll that's, with whatever comes out of my mouth. That's what we're doing. That's that's, that's what, what happens doing. next. Yeah. So, that's, Phil, yeah. Uh, now that we are after the interview... Lovely man, Mr. Troy Denning. Oh, so why are all these writers so nice? 
All it's, the writers that we have interviewed are so dang nice. We just want a mean writer. To, we just want our, you know, who, who's a, who's a, we want a Harlan Ellison to roll yes. up on this pod. Put us on our really place. Break our spirits. Daddy. <laughs> Come on. We're sick of being daddy to all of our young viewers. We got to, we got to have someone put us in our place. Put us in our place. G- ghost of Harlan Ellison. <laughs> that might happen. Uh, we he's would have dead, to, right? He's, very he's dead. dead. He's super dead. Uh, he probably super dead. He's super dead. He probably wouldn't haunt us though, unless we paid him, uh, which <laughs> is his right. <laughs> hey, listen, no free work, baby. No free work. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not haunting you for free. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, that haunt is going to be 50 cents a word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rest in peace, you grumpy old bastard. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, Phil, that really only leads uh, to one question. Ooh, what are you playing? Oh, what am I playing? Well, uh, I finished two games since we spoke last. Oh. Um, yes. I, I, I finished up. I went ahead and finished up Blas- uh, Blasphemous 2. Uh, and you know, I, my, my initial feelings about it stand, uh, it is still a super fun game. It, it, that, that whole thing is, is beautifully done. The music rules. It feels good to play. That's all pretty cool. Um, but I feel like it just doesn't have quite the spark, uh, mm. of the original. Uh, it, it, you were right there. The, the bosses remained for the most part largely non-monstrous. The end boss had a pretty kick-ass design, I have to say. Sure. Um, and there were a couple other ones in there, but it was mostly, it felt like more of a personal journey with the character. Um, less big, horrible. You know, it just didn't, I don't believe in an afterlife. And the first Blasphemous game made me think I'm going to hell uh, for for even taking part in this. The first Blasphemous felt blasphemous. Yeah, it was intensely blasphemous. And, uh, and this one uh, softens it up a little bit. It's a little easier right up until one of the very final bosses uh, who uh, I was about to pull my hair out. Uh, it was driving Is me it, crazy. Uh, the, the first penitent? Penitent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah, second phase. His second phase, I have... Um, I, I haven't beaten the game yet because uh-huh. after losing to his second phase... Yeah. Like, like I, I got to the point where I could no hit his first phase. Like, yeah, I, his, okay. his first phase is a joke. His first like, phase like, is okay, nothing. I can, I can get through this first phase, easy peasy. I yeah. don't take, don't use any flasks. I don't use, yeah. I don't get hit at all. I get to the second phase, and he just like it's like a samurai movie, and yeah. suddenly yeah. he's on the other side of me, and my head is falling off. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it is that. I will say, I don't know, I don't know what your process has been, but I will. The advice that I would give you and anyone else who hasn't beaten him yet uh you don't even bother trying to fight him unless you have finished the uh cursed letter quest line okay uh, because that gets you a spell that stops time for about oh, three or four seconds and 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 you know so i hooked myself up with um, the altarpieces that involved getting my my magic bar up faster, and uh, and I put and I took out my big ass war club, and I stopped time. Bam, 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 and I started learning how many hits I could get in safely. Because you because he doesn't even give you time to fucking heal. 
Uh, no. You don't. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. So don't even bother if you guys are getting there and you just do the do the uh, cursed the letter story. Yeah, yeah, and that'll get you a spell that'll that. In my opinion, is basically required uh, to beat him. I still yeah. came damn close. So you have to beat Flashman and then Quick Man. That's what I would recommend. Yes, yes. <laughs> Top Man then Shadow Man. Uh, that's that's really your best bet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but. But yeah, it's a little. It's a little that when it finally janks up the the difficult, and then of course the final boss is the easiest boss in the entire fucking game. <laughs> which, 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 by the way, I was fine with because after that fucking shit after show, I was like penitent. It's like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I beat him on the second try. I was like, you better not fuck with me over this. I do not want to do that again. Um, I will not finish this game. Um, but yeah, and also whoever implemented. Uh, non-skippable cutscenes uh, before a boss, no matter how short they are. Anybody, whoever, whoever's idea, especially in a game where you die a lot, uh, uh, can go drown. As far as yeah. I'm concerned, that is that is that is so unnecessary. It, it's like, it, yeah, they've got a lot of cool purple pros to give you, but and they do shorten it after the first time, but it's still like six or seven seconds. I should, yeah, that was my, what I was really getting annoyed with the first penitent is like, I should be able to just walk in and the fight starts. I don't yeah. need to, I don't yes. need to him to get up and say something. Yeah, yeah, because I don't care at that point. I, the storyline at that point, I'm just trying to kill the guy. And and I don't need to be reminded over, it was, it. yeah. And Excuse it's, me, what's my motivation? Right, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am I am I'm the penitent one. My motivation is to murder these things. Yeah, it, it made me want to kill him that much faster. I will say, which fucked me up because I that's my problem. That's why I can't play difficult uh, button mashy games like that because I get frustrated and I stop and I lose all sense of strategy and timing and and I I can't. I become I become Aaron Hansen and just like start screaming and I and I'm not that guy. Yeah. Uh, but I, you- I think. Yeah. You're not the boy who wins. You're I'm not, not the, the boy who wins. Exactly. And I don't I am I'm the video game boy. And <laughs> so, so I think overall there was a lot of the stuff that I loved about Blasphemous in there, uh, but not a lot of improvements. You sure. know what I mean? And that's what yeah. you want in a sequel. You want you, you get more of the same, which is great, but you want to see some bumps and and it didn't have a lot of improvements and it did have some moments that weren't as good still. Yeah. And I feel bad because, because this sounds like I'm giving it a bad review. There is still a better than average chance that it will be in my top 10 games. I sure. really enjoyed it. It was beautiful. It, it, their, their, their style, their art direction is breathtaking. It's amazing. Yeah. But I think because I loved the first one so damn much, it makes me harder on it harder to yeah i think yeah. one of the things i liked about the first one was the um the terror of just killing something and watching it die in a, just an absolutely horrible way yeah like that i felt like that was missing a little bit yeah uh, from this one so far um it's but, yeah. yeah it's just so, it doesn't feel the same what yeah. else are you play Oh, uh, I went ahead and played <laughs> Dangeresque, uh, which Dangeresque. is Dangeresque. Oh, the, the, the strong bad game. Right? That's right, strong bad point and click. <laughs> Dangeresque. I loved it. 
<laughs> it took me about an hour and a half. Um, it's got all of the silly... Because for me, uh, fall is Homestar time because I discovered sure. Homestar in college. Yeah. Uh, that's to, to date myself. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so watching the Halloween cartoon, that's that's always been Homestar for me. And so I was like, ooh, there are these two new point-and-click Homestar games. I better get that uh, get that and play them. And Dangerous is silly. It's fun. It's got a little tiny touch of Moon Logic. Um, it is not that it is not a challenging game uh, for the most part. All, there there are a couple of moments that you'll go, wait, how does that work? But but I'll give it to them. When you figure out what you're meant to do, you do feel very proud of yourself. Yeah, it's it's it, it's silly. It's it's goofy. Homestar Runner is probably one of the best examples of a franchise that has known what they were about and not altered it I know since its about, inception. Son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they haven't. They haven't really. They're just like, no, we're just. This is what we do uh, forever now. Uh, Twenty we, plus years. Yeah, like, it's like we appeal to millennials and uh, young Gen Xers who yeah. were in college. And high school, specifically, I want to say around 1997 to 2007, give or take, give, <laughs> give or take. take. <laughs> yep, that's and and, and and they do a wonderful job, and they haven't fucked with the the formula. They uh, never fucked with it. I mean, they no. don't have to put out as much stuff as they used to. And it's no, that's like, true. It, that's true. It's like once a year they might they yeah. might do a thing, but <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. You know, they're just like we're doing this because we actually they like doing do, this. They used to do a strong bad email every Monday. Every Monday. That was what I, you looked forward to. You every looked Monday. Forward to you. Monday yep. was when strong bad email coming up. Yep. And that that it, was what you did. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Scroll button, you know, just <laughs> no. So it was wonderful. Checking uh, my email. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. It's great, and it's got little Easter eggs in there. And if you like Homestar Rudder and Strong Bad and all that stuff, it's 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 a no brainer. It's really easy to to. And then, and then there's another one we ha- I, I I promised Emily we're gonna play that one together where it's a, a Homestar Runner uh, Halloween trick or treat costume. Uh, uh, point and click, and I was like, "Yeah, we're playing that together." That's that's all there is to it. Uh, that's that's all. Uh, and they made it. They made it uh, 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 with um, Adventure Game Maker or whatever. Like they, oh, that's they, amazing. They, yeah, they just they were. It's it. I love how scrappy these guys are. Like since since using Mario Paint to make the earliest version, they've always been like, "I guess we could do something fancy, but fuck it, this is easier." And I love it. I love them for it. Uh, they, they, the brothers chaps, uh, are, are absolutely wonderful. So yeah. Uh, so Blasphemous 2, Dangeresque. What about you, Kevin? What have you played? Uh, let's see. What have I been playing? Uh, we already talked about Blasphemous 2. I'm still kind of, mm-hmm. I'm stuck on the, uh, pen ultimate boss, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I've been playing Starfield, um, which is certainly a game of this year that came out this year. <laughs> it yes. Is a, it is a game in the year 2023. Mm-hmm. Yes, I stole that joke from Co Carnage. Um, <laughs> somebody on his stream asked him, Is Starfield one of your games of the year? And he said, It's a game in the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. It's fine. Um, it's fine. Okay, how do I put it? Um, <laughs> Let's go on. Yeah. 10 hours. I, I, so I've been playing for just about 20 hours on this save file, okay? Um, I started playing the game, and I was like, this is kind of lame. There's, like, nothing going on. Also, it continues Bethesda's problem of just having absolutely terrible introductions. Just... Yeah. The worst. Like, they forgot how to do it since Morrowind, right? Yeah. So, like, Morrowind was just like, you make your character and you're in the place and go yeah. do some stuff, right? Yeah. And Fallout New Vegas was, you get shot from by, by Chandler, and now you you wake up and you go do the stuff. But yep. Fallout New Vegas, though, was not Bethesda. It was, uh, it was, uh, what's it? Um, oh, uh, 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 fuck. Uh, Oh, Obsidian. The, the other Obsidian. Yes. Obsidian made Fallout New Vegas, published by Bethesda. Yes. Um, but yes. So you know, you got Fallout Three. You spend fifteen ye- hours in the vault, just growing up from being a baby before oh you even God, get out. Literally. And then, and then people are like, "Oh, you like that? Well, here's Oblivion, and you're gonna spend like." Uh, your lifetime in the prison sewers before you get out to see daylight. Uh-huh. And people are, and then, and then Todd Howard was. People seem to love this. Everybody's <laughs> like, "No, Todd." And somebody's oh. saying, uh, "They're saying Boo Earns." Uh, <laughs> and then Todd was like, "All right, for Skyrim, we're gonna make an unskippable cutscene, basically, for the first." however fucking long that takes until the dragon shows up or macho man randy savage depending on which mods you're playing with yeah (laughs) if you're playing the correct way if you're playing the correct way it's either macho man or thomas the tank engine oh Uh, that's a good one too (laughs) but yeah uh so one needless to say the most popular mods for all these games is ones that let you just like fucking skip the opening Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so right now for Starfield, circling back to Starfield, Starfield, you start in a mine and you have to learn how to mine for minerals, <laughs> which is a thing you can do in Starfield. Mm-hmm. It has its own no man's sky elements. But yes, you mine for minerals and then you touch a thing and the, there's bright lights and you are the special and now there's a guy coming down and he's like whoa shit you're the special you found the <laughs> thing take my ship and go talk to the people who are looking for more of the special oh shit pirates are attacking uh, so you got to kill the pirates and then you get up on the ship and it's like first things first you can't go talk to the people you got to go massacre more pirates because they're just going to keep following you sure needless to say sure obviously uh, and this is why a friend of the pod evelyn from the channel i am error said they make these gigantic sandbox games and you can be whoever you want to be as long as that person's a serial killer pretty much yeah <laughs> uh yeah 
spot on, that's how the, Evelyn. That's how the game starts. Because you, when you're attacked by the pirates, it's like up to you to kill 90% of them. Yeah. Even though there's like 40 people with guns uh, shooting at them. And then you have to go to this pirate base and just kill all of them there. And then you don't get a chance to do a persuasion check until the very end. And oh, you save- see. And you Fuck save, that. like, the one ca- pirate captain, and you're like, you shouldn't do this anymore. And he's like, you're right. Oh, fuck that. I'm just like, look, I'm sorry. They don't. They didn't know what Baldur's Gate 3 was going to bring. Yeah. But also, they've been doing the same shit over and over and over again. Yeah. So I'm like, I hate this game. And then something happened. <laughs> Where's that turn? Where's that turn? turn. I stole something Mm -hmm. and I got like, you're, you have a bounty on your head now. Someone saw you steal that. And I was like, nobody saw me steal that bullshit. And I'm like walking around and then somebody, some guard from, uh, so it's like the United Constellations or uh, whatever uh, from UC Sistef, which is their like Navy or whatever Mm -hmm. is comes up to me and says, you're under arrest. Actually, you got to come with us. And you're like, can I just pay the fine? And he's like, nah, not this time. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. that's weird. All right, so I'm under arrest. And I bra- get brought into an interrogation room. Instead of like being taken to prison, which is the normal thing is you can go to prison or pay a fine or whatever. Sure. I'm brought into an interrogation room. And this commander is like, all right, well, you seem to be like pretty much nobody uh, we want you to uh, hire you to be a uh, undercover agent to take down to find dirt on the uh, Crimson Fleet, which is the pirates that terrorize the stars. And that kicks off a 10 hour side quest where you have to be an undercover cop. <laughs> you have to do a departed. There's a level where you are being an undercover cop in this pirate organization, and then you, as a pirate, you have to break into a UC Sistef base with the blessing of your handler from UC Sistef. (laughs) Oh, no. But nobody knows that you're that. Like, you and they tell you you'll be disavowed if you get caught. And it's like... It's basically The Departed, and I was like, this game fucking rocks. <laughs> and I played that, and I was in my head the whole time. I'm like, I'm not a cop. Um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe fuck maybe, yourself. Maybe go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, uh, so I okay, played fair through enough. Entire, I played through that entire quest 10 hours later, finished the quest. We There's an ultimate battle, space battle between Sistef and the, and the Crimson Fleet. And I personally arrest the captain of the Crimson Fleet. <laughs> and <laughs> then I leave and I'm back in the main quest. And I'm like, oh. It's like, it was like the highest of highs. And then I'm like, they're like, would you like to go find some flashing light artifacts now and, and mine some minerals? I was trying to say, it's like, you, you've just got done with this Errol Flynn high space opera adventure. They're like, well, you want to mine for carbon? Or... <laughs> Do you know damn. you can set up outposts that will mine for you? And I'm like, 
Sounds fun. <laughs> I guess that's... I just, I just look off in the middle distance to my days as an undercover oper operative <laughs> where danger lurked around every corner. And you're, supposed to, you're supposed to retire now. That's the whole point. Yeah, they wanted to, to make you feel now. good. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it was like there were so many people on the pirate side that I kind of liked. And in that <laughs> final battle, you end up like personally killing them all. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like there's this really cool character called Jasmine and it goes by jazz. Um, and she's, uh, she's an engineer. She's funny. She's witty. And, and she six, one of her robots on you and you kill the robot. And then you're looking for her and she's just like running she's just like running away from you shooting with this tiny little like pea shooter like she doesn't have anything she doesn't have an armor on she just has like a little gun and you kill her oh my god and you're just like jazz it's just no for that's and that's the thing it goes back to what i was talking about before you know for this for this not even the game itself but for a publisher that prides itself on personal choice and hugeness and scope. Uh, you know, like like that level of like not really having many options is nuts yeah. to me. Yeah. And so like that's why um, Baldur's Gate 3, for example, uh, in a world where Baldur's Gate 3 exists, Starfield is a little bit it, you can kind of tell its age in terms mm. of a style. There's just like some things that are not necessarily thought out totally. I would I would be happy with less stuff in the game and just more thought out interactions rather than look at all this stuff. But you have to like I would love to do a, a playthrough of Starfield where I wasn't forced to kill people. Right, right. You know, I in Baldur's Gate three, there's obviously forced encounters, but there's a sure. lot of stuff that you can talk your way out of instead of, or you don't even have to do a battle encounter. Mm -hmm. The goblin camp, you can you can poison the goblins uh, ale instead of uh, instead of actually fighting them. Oh, the and, uh, the spooky doctor. Uh, scene uh, is like that. It's a really oh, good yeah. one. Oh yeah, you can talk him into killing himself or right. having his nurses kill him. Right. You, you can you can you can drink a guy to death instead of fighting him. I love that scene. <laughs> oh, so good. I love that that whole section of the game. So That's spooky an and good. Amazing section of the game. Oh. you can talk. You can tell every one of those talk any every one of those bosses to death. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bethesda is just like they're an old ship, and they need to start turning. You know, like they're because they're just they're barreling ahead with these kinds of games that are increasingly out of fashion, and they're goddamn it gonna make them. And yeah. it's yeah, yeah. Like there's there's like weird little and there's weird little things. Like I did this whole thing with the pirates, and then. Like I go to a place and there's still some Crimson Fleet pirates hanging around. I'm like, I thought I got the whole fucking gang. I thought that was right. the point of the mission. There shouldn't be right. any. They should be gone. <laughs> I committed a genocide. I committed a genocide against the the pirates. Um, 
with cat like tread no more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Okay. Um, so uh, before we go, we want to just do our shout out to our, our favorite patron. Absolutely. Uh, friendly uh, friend, are you out there listening? Friendly friend? We hope friend? you are. We hope you are friendly friend because you are on our Patreon and top tier. We love you for it. Thank you much, so much for, for supporting Geek us. Geek Scholar, right? That's what we Geeks, called it. Yeah, yeah. Geek Scholar. Thank you, Geek Scholar, for showing us your love. It means the world to us. Thank you so much. I pulled up like a my a new tab on Google, and it's a nebula, and now my face is all... That's a good lighting setup, yeah. That is a neat... That is a neat lighting setup. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you want to join Friendly Friend in these shout-outs, uh, you can go over to patreon.com slash pixelitpod, where we have three tiers available to you. One dollars. One dollars. <laughs> One dollars. Five dollars. Five dollars. Five dollars. Five dollars. And yeah. ten dolores. Dolores, um, yes. Yeah. Dolores. That's Spanish, right? Ten, For- ten sadness. Ten sadness, <laughs> and and in this in this stage of, of late stage capitalism, is there anything more uh, dolorous than money? <laughs> Please give it to us. <laughs> uh, the the so more money yeah. you give to us, is the less sad you'll be in the long run. The less sad you'll be, the less sad we'll be. No, that's that's too dark. I gotta I gotta have, go back to Nebula. There we go. Yeah, yeah Nebula. Um, Nebula. Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, Nebula, if you're listening, you know we will we'll join your platform. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah, we will. Um, so yeah, or you can follow us for free on on Patreon. You can also go to our website, Patreon.com, uh, Patreon.com, Pixelit.com. <laughs> pixelitpod.com I'll get it right don't one you look days. at me one of these days <laughs> pixelitpod.com go to our website yeah or you can join our discord where you can you can actually talk to us uh, you can get in there and talk to us or you can uh, join our, our newsletter where you get mm-hmm. access to uh, early episodes and finally if you're more social media inclined, go ahead and fi- fi- follow us on uh, Blue Sky, on mm-hmm. Twitter, on mm-hmm. Instagram, yes, on Threads. Yes. Are you still uh, posting on Threads? No, not really. No, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm, I think we're don't, done with Threads. Don't, don't bother with Threads. Uh, yeah. At Pixelit Pod on all those websites, just search it and you should bring us up. Uh, Twitter is called X now. I fucking forgot about that. So stupid. Uh, so, it's like HBO Max trying to be Max. Max. I'm not. You're always gonna be HBO to me. You're always gonna be Twitter to me. You're. <laughs> you're always gonna be Twitter to me. That's How is a guy with so many children such a virgin? I just. I don't. <laughs> X. Oh, go fuck yourself. What is it? He is the most divorced virgin yeah. <laughs> dad. Of Every all time. day for, for Muskox is 2003. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're Gears of War is still making all kinds of new games, and X still going to give it to you. Uh, X still going to give it to you. Still going to uh, give it to you. Pour one out for, for oh. DMX. Uh, he, God damn, if he was alive today. Mm hmm. Oh, he'd he be would, pissed. He would be pissed. Yeah. yeah. And, and is his right. As is as would be his right. Uh, <laughs> that'll do it for tonight's episode, though. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs>
It's a good episode. <laughs> Hell yeah! I'm so glad he managed to get on. I, I'm, I'm. That worked out. That worked out good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, brother. <laughs>